Building a mobile app requires developers to build a separate version for Android and iOS. The approval process for app stores makes it difficult to deploy quickly and iterate in small batches for developers who are making native apps. These frictions and other frictions cause fewer developers to write mobile apps than we would have if the smartphone platform was unified. Since the early days of the smartphone, different cross-platform solutions have been tried, and many developers got burned after they implemented an app that was supposed to work on iOS and Android when the performance actually ended up being poor on both. Today, the cross-platform solutions are finally getting good with frameworks like React Native and Ionic. Ionic allows developers to write apps in AngularJS and deploy them to both Android and iOS. In this episode, Adam Bradley from Ionic gives a brief history of cross-platform apps and explains what is different today and why cross-platform apps are exploding in popularity, particularly in large enterprises. Adam Bradley is the lead developer of Ionic. Adam, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ionic is a framework for making hybrid mobile apps. And these are mobile apps that are written once, but they both run on iOS and Android. And in the early days of mobile, as a developer community, I feel like we got burned on cross-platform technologies because they didn't work well enough. I remember using these early cross-platform technologies and they were just kind of disappointing. Why didn't cross-platform work six or seven years ago and why does it work today? Well, it was a it was a great idea, but I think when it first came out, it was a little too early for what, not the idea, but for the browsers and the devices at the time. Um, I guess I like to compare it to Let's say you were building a, a, a great web app with uh, Netscape 2. You know, that just wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked out um, in 1997 of trying to build a, um, an awesome web app. Um, but today, you know, browsers have really improved. Computers are a lot faster now that it's just a given that to build a web app, you, you build, you know, use Angular or React or something like that. Um, I think that same transition is, is now happening with uh, mobile, whereas um, Cordova came out, you know, I think it's 2009. If you think about the phones that we were using back then, they just were, you know, underpowered for what we wanted to do with them. Um, the browsers had a lot to learn yet. Um, and so that's, um, it was a great idea, but what we first used and what the blogs were all talking about of like, this is a great idea and everyone tried them out. It was just too early for those devices. But, um, kind of like how you, you said, like times have definitely changed and the, the advancements that both browsers, the standards, I guess, Browsers, the standards, and the devices have made in just within three years has been amazing that um, it's now actually a, a viable thing. So again, that same transition has happened from what happened with desktop is now happening with mobile. It's funny because you hear people talking about VR these days, and they'll say it's, it's sometimes it's hard to get people to try out VR to take VR seriously because VR is one of those technologies where we just got burned again and again and again. And then some people who even try the, the VR systems today, they get nauseous from them. And then like, I don't even want to mess with that for the next five years. Is it hard to convince people that this technology, Ionic, actually works and it makes good mobile apps? I think that there's a certain crowd that, yeah, well, it'll always be um, tough to convince. Um, one issue is that everyone has the... Uh, they all feel like they're all, they're all working on the same use case. So, you know, like a game developer building a, a 3D game with, you know, a um, RPG or something like that, that's, you know, Cordova is probably not the right um, right one for that. But they'll just, they'll speak in terms of just like, oh, you should never do that. Um, but really, um, yeah, we're, we're not really having to convince people. I mean, we don't write blog posts of like, no, really, you should try it this time. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it's just naturally, um, you know, it's just come out. I think uh, Max just posted a blog just the other day of like the um, all the numbers of what we've seen in 2016 and, and how many um, millions of apps have been created with it, how many people are using it. You know, I love to get the um, the tweets and the feedback from the people that have like have businesses built upon Ionic and, you know, they're full-time consultants building Ionic apps. Um, so it's, it's not that we really have to convince people, you know, that there's certain there's a certain crowd, you know, a hacker news crowd is just not going to like it, but there's, uh, you know, the Workday developer is getting a lot done with Ionic. And so like, we, we're not worrying about trying to convince everyone right now. That's right. You were part of this initial Ionic team in 2013. 
and the tools that you were working on then were some drag and drop interface building tools for people to build cross-platform mobile apps that eventually led to Ionic. What was the story there? How did those projects lead to the development of Ionic? Yeah, so um, Max and Ben, um, they started Kodaka, which was a drag and drop interface builder for jQuery mobile. Um, and then I shortly came on after, you know, being friends with them in, in the same town, um, came on shortly after. And Kodaka was really a successful product. You know, it did, did the company very well. Um, it was a great way to build apps by drag and drop. The problem that we kept running into is that people like, well, yeah, well, this is cool, but I want to be able to do this. And I want to be, you know, they kept wanting to do more and like, this doesn't act like a, you know, a mobile app, mobile apps do this, you know? And so we kept kind of getting burned by, um, um, jQuery, jQuery mobile didn't have the same goals that we had in trying to create a, um, a mobile app experience, whereas it was more of kind of a, um, a web page experience that kind of looked like an app. Um, and it's not, it's nothing against jQuery mobile. I mean, that was a great framework. It's just, um, it had different goals of what we were trying to accomplish. So I think, uh, just one day we decided to like, okay, let's put, um, development and Kodaka on pause and let's, let's try out this new idea of like, well, what if, Let's take the the new iPhone five, I believe, is what it was. Let's let's build a side menu with that um, and see how smooth we can get it. Um, and I actually remember Max uh, showing it to me for the first time. It was just like, wow, that's that's actually really smooth. And so I think that um, we had 2013 was kind of really kind of the the first you know inkling of like you know browsers and phones can actually do some pretty amazing things. Um, we don't have to try to limit ourselves to try to make them work on on you know BlackBerry whatever version it was then. Um, there were just certain limitations that like older, older devices had. But if, if we drew the line in the sand and saying like, all right, this is what we want to support. Uh, and these are the capabilities that they have. Let's do that. And that's kind of where, um, the original Ionic came out is that, um, we said we want to support, um, Android four and above and iOS six and above, I believe. Um, and that allowed us to really show off of what the, what was capable in browsers and what the devices were capable of at the moment. And, between then and now, it's remarkable of like the the changes. I actually did a talk in that talk on the same topic a couple months back of like how much has changed in just three years, you know. So I don't want to like talk about this is uh, these are the big improvements since 2007. I'm talking about like these are the huge improvements that have happened just recently, and really like the Chrome team and things that are going on with Android is amazing of of what has changed so drastically. And so Ionic two has really been able to take advantage of all these. Um, huge advances. So like, it's, it's really exciting, you know, of what's going on right now. You built Ionic because you strongly believed that HTML5 would eventually rule on mobile. Or maybe if you didn't have that thesis when you started working on Ionic, I believe you have it now. That idea that HTML5 will rule mobile is kind of disjunct with the reality that we have today where, you know, people are you know, certainly you're you're you may be working you may be working in an app you may be opening up an app and messing around with an app that is uh, built on HTML5, um, but the operating system is either on built in iOS uh, or yeah, I should say Objective C, Swift, or it's in Android, which is Java. What's the thesis for why HTML5 will eventually rule? Well, I think it's the same concept of like, you know, you and I are probably on a Mac or a, a Windows machine. You know, the same thing is um, that's the operating system that's that's running this common runtime. I think the the coolest thing about HTML5 and really the web platform is that it is this standard runtime that's installed across trillions of devices right now. Um, they Everyone has agreed upon of like, this is how it should work. There's these standards that, is, that nobody owns. Um and because of that, uh, we all can have this common way to develop an application. I mean, if you think back to the when we were developing for um, Adobe Flash, um, we all could have this common way to develop Flash, but the user had to install it, and it had to install it on this, this, and that. Um, and you saw what happened when um, when Apple decided to not install Flash no more. That that immediately killed it. But with the web platform, um, again, nobody owns that, and because of that, it can be installed. Um, Whatever you build today can work on your TV. It can work in your um, work on your car. It can work anywhere. So that's kind of why I'm so excited about the web platform. It is interesting. Sometimes I think about the fact that I'm sitting on this Mac, but almost all of my day-to-day work is done in browser. 
applications. But there are occasional things where I'm doing doing work outside of the browser, and it makes me consider deeply what is the role of the operating system versus the browser, and are we just going to be using some Chromebook-like device in the future? It is easy to imagine a future where we're using a Chromebook device, but then that begs the question, why aren't we there yet? Yeah, it's a it's a great, you know, something to think about, like, where, where are we going? Why is it the way it is? Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the operating system has a role of, you know, just kind of the low, low level, um, you know, where the rubber meets the road type of takes the input, um, does, does the different logic to, to like the file input output, um, kind of just the raw computer stuff that you need to do. But it's the browser that really is the new operating system now. Um, the browser is the one that, that is the common runtime. And, and yeah, like I, I use Gmail and, Google Calendar, and I'm, I'm rarely am I actually using the browser. I mean, and actually most of my development is within a Visual Studio Code, and even that, um, that's an application, but again, that's built with all, you know, web technologies under the hood from what I understand. So um, it is oh, kind of okay. questionable. You know, it's a gray area now of, of um, what what's web platform and what's operating system. Now, Ionic apps are written using Angular, AngularJS, which is a JavaScript framework. It's typically used to build web applications. Explain how an Ionic app runs on a phone. Sure. So um, so there's multiple ways you can run Ionic. Um, so one thing we pride ourselves on is that because it's built on the web pl- platform and because it can go um, and many things can run the web platform, you can run it inside of Cordova. Uh, or you can just run it inside of a, a normal browser, you know, by accessing it through a, just a normal URL. Um, with Cordova, what that does is Cordova is pretty much just a, a, a simple, dumbed-down browser with no URL bar. But there's not much to it. Um, it's just an application that's really just, yeah, again, a, a simple browser. And so when you fire up Cordova, it's going to open up your web app um, as if it's the entire screen, um, as if it is an app. And so we're able to take advantage of that. And and one thing that it often will come up or people will say, like, well, I don't have the same access um, to the native layer with a Cordova app or Ionic app that I do with with native, which isn't true because Cordova can do anything. It is an application. It can do anything that a native application can do. And there is um, we've got Ionic native that's got over 60-some plugins that have all the different capabilities you know, for um, file access, camera, Bluetooth, um, you name it, it can do the same things because it is a native application. Um, um, and then again, back to like the, the website of things, because it's just an HTML page, it's just a static JavaScript and HTML and CSS, um, it can run in the browser, which is really cool because um, just of late within the last year, progressive web apps has kind of really taken off, which is really awesome and works in our favor in that um, it's kind of me personally, I, I feel like I, this is the dream, right? We want to just develop a, a web page and it's going to act like an application. And so that's what progressive web apps are really pulling off. And so just to kind of explain what progressive, yeah. Oh, no, that was, that was my next question, what a progressive web app is. Yeah, so what that is, um, it's basically, it makes, you can go to a certain web page. Um, let's say we make Ionic Shop or, or an Ionic application. Um, you go to it. Um, in your phone, it's going to, with a normal browser, it's going to look like a normal browser. And you're like, well, I really like this this application I'm looking at. I want to save it to my home screen, which is the same idea as a, if you're to download something from the App Store or from the Play Store, and that application then goes, that icon is then on your home screen that you can open up later. Um, the same concept is there where you turn this web page into an application. So now I want to, I want to always go to this, this web page a lot or basically this application numerous times. It's now installed um, and works just like a normal application does. Um, so you tap that icon, opens it up. There's um, URL bar will be minimized or, or not showing. Um, you have all the kind of the same capabilities of a, of a normal application. But what I really love about it is kind of the distribution of it all. Um, again, it's just JavaScript. It's just HTML and CSS on the web. So um, compared to how difficult it is to um, deploy iOS and, and Android, more so iOS and signing the keys and, and all that, and then having to go through some other um, third party to, to get the stuff deployed to iOS and, and Android. Now it's just the web. It's your own server. Um, so it's really kind of cool, and it, it's relatively new. It's just taking off, um, but it's something that we can really shine at because it's just the web. One thing, I think, doesn't the progressive web app movement also refer to 
the idea that these web apps have robust offline functionality. So if you save this progressive web app to your home screen, it's not just going to be like a website that you can't access if you're offline. It has offline functionality. Yeah, I should have hit that better. Um, so that that side of things is like the service workers. Um, and so something that's always hurt the web traditionally is um, if you're in the subway or on the bus and you don't have internet connectivity, well, the entire web page isn't going to work anymore. Um, but with service workers, you can now handle if that request doesn't go through, like if you request for a certain page and it's not there, you can already handle what to do with that. And so with those capabilities, you can now build an entire offline application um, and then sync things back up later on um, when you do have internet connectivity. But the, the bottom line is is now you don't have to worry about not having internet like you normally do with a web page. So, um, oh man, you mentioned the deployment process for an iOS native app. I I recently experienced this developing an iOS app, and oh my gosh, like I I didn't realize how um, how onerous the process was for actually getting an app onto the iOS app store. So I've done this now with an iOS app and with an Android app, and. The Android process is also kind of onerous, or at least it was when I built an app like three or four years ago. Uh, but the iOS process is just astounding, and um, and I think that one of the things that motivates people to build uh, these hybrid apps is actually the idea that it's your iteration cycles get quicker because you can deploy more simply. You just have to update your JavaScript on your view layer, and that's your deployment, and you don't have to change the you don't have to update the app. You don't have to get your users to download a new version of the app because they're just pulling from the same JavaScript hooks and getting the same code, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that's a, I see it as a huge value for the web's distribution and basically not one person, not one company owns it, um, which makes it a lot easier. And also something that I'd love to see more of, of kind of a new idea that is going to be capable now are all the uh, enterprise companies out there that have these internal servers, that have the VPN connections, that have all these um, private lockdown intranets, well, they can start building progressive web apps. They can build these awesome things for the CEOs and the CTOs, all these applications that just run internally. They don't have to worry about um, distribution and iOS for stuff stuff that's private. So um, there's a lot of cool new ideas that can come out from this. Yeah, so I think that's the enterprise mobility conversation. I want to have that a little bit later, but uh, we've talked about Cordova a little bit, or we've mentioned this at least, and people might not know what Cordova is. Um, there's a little brief history about Cordova. Maybe you could explain what Cordova is. Yeah, so Cordova is the basically the idea of taking a, um, a web page and running it inside of a browser. So you've got that, you build one web page, um, and then you wrap it in the different operating systems way of building, showing that web page. So Android's got a very simple layer that um, wraps it and can be downloaded from the Play Store. And, and uh, iOS is the same thing. And, and I believe there's even a Windows one um, that does the same the same thing. So the concept is you can build this simple web page, um, wrap it with a native layer, so that it becomes a real um, native application that is then distributable um, across the different Play Stores. I see. So if I, so what Cordova enables is this, uh, basically this layer that sits between my purely web application and the different domain-specific, um, or sorry, platform-specific APIs. Like the the API for the iOS camera is going to be different than the API for the Play for the Google or sorry Google Android camera, but Cordova unifies them. So I just write my app for Cordova or yep, exactly. for, 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 uh, for web uh, on Cordova. And then the Cordova layer translates that to the different platforms that it runs on top of. And then Ionic is kind of an additive complement to Cordova that gives some standard controls that uh, mimic the native controls. And it also has some design components that create a more unified look and feel than the basic things you would run on Cordova, I guess, or maybe you could elaborate a little more on like what Ionic does to complement Cordova. Yeah, and that's you know back to kind of like the um, how people got burned by Cordova. Um, I kind of see it more as like an unfair um, comparison that Cordova had 
Because it really is. It's not trying to be the end-all application layer. It's just a simple wrapper to a web page that then the developers have to build. So with iOS and Android, it comes with this um, this great framework to build an application, but it also comes with like the UI, like how does a menu work? How does a button look? How does What happens when you click the button? How do you handle button clicks? So it comes with all that stuff too. Um, how do page transi- transitions work? So all this stuff comes with the framework of iOS and Android. Um, and then you got Cordova. It's like, oh, this is like a, it renders a web page, right? It doesn't, it doesn't do any of that stuff. And so then that meant that developers had to figure out like, okay, so I want a blue button. So I got to figure out the CSS. I want to transition to a very nice smooth transition. So that means I got to figure out CSS transitions. So it's, it was kind of on the developers to all everybody reinvent how a, um, framework works. Everyone was having to re- rethink like, well, this is how a si- side menu works. You click this icon and it slides out from the left. Um, so that is where I think Cordova kind of got a bad rap is that, you know, it, it was touted as this great um, way to um, have cross-platform apps and everyone's like, great, let's do it. Um, but that means I have to write everything and people are more concerned about writing how their application works and not how an application works. And that's where Ionic steps in. It it provides the how does an application work. It provides the button colors, like rounded corners, how side menus work, how transitions work, um, all the performance things it has to have in considerations of when to do DOM reads and when to do writes. And um, all that stuff is kind of handled, which iOS and Android does for you, and you never have to think about. This is where Ionic comes in for the web platform, is that it does all those things that you don't have to think about, so you can focus on your application and not how to build an application. Now, how much of this has been enabled by the standardization that we have realized about apps over the last five or six or seven years? Because, I mean, mobile is a fairly new... I mean, it's not a, it's not totally new, but it's, you know, it was a new paradigm, I don't know, 10 years ago, and then six or seven years ago, it was getting a little organized, and then, you know, three to four years ago, probably we start started to have, like, kind of a recognition for what are like really good design patterns in mobile was that a prerequisite for understanding what you needed to build with ionic yeah i think so um well i, I think you know all of us you know that we're all familiar with our phone the one that you have in your pocket the one that you use every day how it works um you're familiar with the transitions you're familiar with everything about your phone um and then the web developers, we were also kind of stuck, stuck on how web pages work and how you have got a linear history and you can go, go forward a page, you can go back a page. Um, like one thing I always like to point out is think of like the Play Store or the App Store, how you can dig in a couple, you can be at tab one, dig in a couple pages, go to tab two, go to a couple pages. When you go back to tab one, you're still going to be at where you used to be off, left off at. And we're all familiar with that. We're all expecting that to happen. Um, the back button in tab one is going to be a back button for just tab one. This is what we're used to as um, mobile app users. Um, but in the web world, that's that kind of concept really isn't there. You kind of always go forward. You always go backwards. There's not this concept of um, this tree of um, views, I guess. And so that has kind of been one big shift for Ionic. Um, people who are starting to develop with Ionic is like, Traditionally, everyone has kind of been a web developer with that mindset of how you got these different linear um, directions of, of views or web pages. Whereas we're trying to bring in the uh, the application or the, the mobile app kind of concept of, well, think of it more as views and you're pushing and popping views onto this navigation stack. And there can be numerous, numerous navigation stacks. Um, so it's kind of, um, I think kind of to your point is we were, the world has kind of been stuck on how web development has traditionally worked. Um, and then along just out of nowhere, all of a sudden mobile, mobile apps came out and do, do this great job of like, well, this is how a mobile app, or this is how a, a good app should work. Um, and so I think those concepts and, and everything that I think I would attribute to Apple bringing in with like starting with the iPod and how then, how an application works, like, um, the transitions, um, how tabs would work and then bringing that into the iPhone and then Android bringing in all their concepts too. Um, they did a great job. The native world did a great job of showing us, showing the world how does, what's a good application look like on a tiny device. Um, and now we're starting to adopt those things into the web. So let's talk a little bit about like what you can build and what you shouldn't build with Ionic. You mentioned earlier, if you're building like a 3D game on mobile, you probably don't want to use 
Ionic, but for the vast majority of apps, if, especially if you're thinking about like maybe just an internal app for an enterprise and um, or just like a simple app with with well-defined functionality, like for recipes or something. Obviously, you can use Ionic. What's the dividing line between the things that you can do and the things that you cannot do? For sure, like I think where there's a lot of success is uh, we know of of many enterprise companies that have literally hundreds of um, internal applications that they have to manage. Um, and um, it's a very business-focused application um, needs to be done quickly. It needs to be able to maintainable. Um, numerous people can maintain it. How do you deploy it? So there's a, there's a large part of Ionic successes in that. Um, and that's where we see a lot of the things, but that said, we still have got, um, quite a few apps that have been on top of the, the app and, and play stores, um, such as Swirk it, um, chef steps was another one. Yeah. There's quite a few that have, have been, uh, even more, um, consumer based. Um, have been very successful with, uh, with Ionic, um, doing that. And, and like we already said, you know, if you're building a 3D game, um, the web platform isn't ideal today. I think it will be probably three, four years down the road when we get into um, uh, WebAssembly and doing things like that. Like I, I've, I've played around with WebAssembly just briefly and it's, it's pretty cool, but it's still pretty early yet. Um, but I think the dream will be realized, you know, a couple years down the road that that, that will be capable so as, I, as far as I understand, WebAssembly is a subset of JavaScript. It's a very small subset of JavaScript instructions where you can compile complex JavaScript down into those uh, smaller instruction set, and then they optimize that small instruction set like crazy. And then... Yeah, and I'm not... I don't, I'll probably say some, some wrong information here. I'm not a, the biggest expert whatsoever in the WebAssembly, but it's more of the opposite direction of... Um, you'd write something in C, and it would compile down to just this uh, this portable oh. Um, oh, object yeah, yeah, yeah. can be viewed on any um, any of the browsers that supports WebAssembly. So it's like the next generation uh, ASM. Um, but that said, then I think the next next steps are to also do that for JavaScript that they would then go to WebAssembly. But you'd be able to write some pretty amazing um, applications. Um, and I guess what's what's really cool about it is how it would then be portable to everywhere you don't have to worry about having java installed or or something like that so um but it's early yet i mean it's still pretty early that this would be feasible for the masses yeah this technology seems incredible and do you do you know how far along WebAssembly is or like what are the i know you just said you're not an expert in but do you have any uh any perspective you don't okay yeah i no it, it's uh i did build a, a hello world app the other day um it's in chrome behind a flag and it's in firefox behind a flag um but that said, I'm I'm not a C developer, nor do I care to be. You know, I'm I'm a web developer, so um, it's very very low level. Um, it's really cool. I think there's gonna be some awesome things coming out of it. But um, it's too early for uh, for the web development side of things, because because and, and I didn't even really hit on this. Like another huge part of Ionic is how we've we've gone. You know, we spent a lot of time in making sure things are simple and easy to to use, and that's why we also chose the web is because um, there's a billion tutorials and articles about how to write HTML and CSS and JavaScript. Um, so we don't want to invent a yet another way to do something and, and build our own language and build our own, you know, how to build an Ionic app. It's just we're more focused on, like, um, you're building a web page. You just happen to be using Ionic. And so uh, WebAssembly really wouldn't be that because it's, it's very low level. Like, you kind of each developer chooses their layer of ab abstraction. Um, and so I think you can get a lot done at the... Um, at the web platform abstraction, you know, go up pretty high. We're not writing assembly code. We're not writing C. You're writing HTML, which then something else understands how to make that work great on your phone. So, you mentioned those enterprise apps that people will just build if they're an enterprise, like you know, maybe a giant company like a um, like think of an enormous organization like Ford or Procter and Gamble or something, where you have all these people in different roles, but they have very specific roles. So. They may want a specific application. Um, can you talk a little bit about like why that's important? Like, if if you're in some enterprise, why is it useful to be able to build a wide variety of just these utility mobile apps that you could give to people in very specific jobs? Yeah. So, so in working with a lot of the enterprise companies and seeing what the, what's actually being done, is that it it, it appears that. 
they're not building one big app, the end all app, you know, like Facebook or Twitter or something like that. They're all building, um, or even like a, a Google, Google Drive or like a Dropbox right. type of thing. It's like something very specific. Yeah, and so, um, and, and it's it seems to be enterprises enjoying that because it's easier to maintain um, a single purpose application, um, and then they can put you know restrictions and um, uh, different permissions on certain applications, so they can kind of lock it down. They can have it on their own servers. Um, and yeah, I think it's more of a collection of applications that they share. And again, like, you know, I can't say the company names, but, um, there's one of them I can think of that has 800 applications internally that they have. And so think about that as a developer, um, that if they were all written in, in iOS, right? How would you, where would you even begin? And then you got new, you've got hundreds of other, you know, coworkers, um, and Bob built it two years ago and now you need, you know, Steve and um, Jenny are going to work on it now. You know, you have all these different people kind of trying to develop this thing. So if you have this common, easy to understand web platform way of doing it, something that's easy to distribute, um, it really gets a lot simpler. And you can pretty much impress your boss on how quickly you can build it um, at this point compared to trying to um, build it in iOS or Android. What do you think of React Native? This is uh, the technology from Facebook. It's based on the React JS platform. It's a another way of doing cross-platform. I think it is a little more of a, um, I guess, lower-level approach because it's not exactly the web platform approach. Or, I don't know. Maybe you could contrast React Native with Ionic and tell me what you think about it. Yeah, sure, absolutely. No, I think React Native is great. Um, I think we've we've played around with it. We think it's really great. It's very successful. A lot of people use it. Um, but kind of like you said, it's a little bit more low level. Um, um, but but I don't want to knock it whatsoever. I think it's a great platform. I think you should try it out. Try out Ionic. Try them both out. Um, and what see what it has different what goals. Both here. Yeah, and um, um, it's been out for two years now, a year and a half now, maybe. Um, and other things just like it have come out where they transpile um, JavaScript to web platform things into the runtime of that platform. And so um, it's really not a new idea. It's an old idea come new again. Um, so that, let's see, Titanium, Accelerator, um, Steroids. There's been quite a few that have been doing this for, for quite some time. Um, Xamarin is another one I can think of. So it's a new idea um, or an old idea come new again. And in this time, um, Ionic is still continuing to grow um, because people have seen the value of how quickly you can build an application and, and I guess the performance that they do have. Um, but like, you know, people like Chevy's and Ford's, you know, got Angular and, and React is kind of the, the same comparison. There, there will always be numerous frameworks to choose from. Ours right now is, uh, is Angular. That's what we, we prefer. That's the one that we enjoy working with. Um, and I think it's each up to each development team to kind of figure out what they enjoy working with. So, so what is the, do you know what the lower level approach is for React Native? Do you know how it, how it compares to Ionic? Like what level are they sure. attacking the problem at? Yeah, so you um, you write things in kind of React.js, and then you run it through React Native, and it, it spits out a, a native application um, using what you built. And so it's it's got a, a the cool idea of you've kind of mostly write once. Um, I think they say like 80% of the code is, is reusable. Um, and then you kind of tailor it to each of the, to each of the, different, um, each of the different platforms. And um, it seems to be working great for a lot of people. Um, I think where it's more difficult is that, you know, it's going to be, again, you're, you're, you're dealing, you're not dealing with uh, the web anymore. I mean, you're not able to distribute it to the web platform with progressive web apps, which is huge and it's going to continue to get much larger over time. Um, so that's kind of one big downside of it compared to Ionic. Um, the other thing is it's, it's more difficult. It's more like um, software engineering, I guess, which is a good thing, but it's also, it's harder to get everyone involved. Yes. So, you know, I've worked at other um, large companies, you know, internally you're working on an application, you've got many people, you've got web designers, you've got people who know Photoshop, um, web developers of different skills. And so if you want everyone involved, um, having the three of HTML, JavaScript, and CSS is a great way to get, get it divided out. Um, you don't need, you know, um, software engineers at every level to be able to compile into iOS and Android. You can ask anyone to all right, change the CSS file, and now the application is updated. So um, so there's pros and cons to that, but um, 
I think where Ionic shines and, and really more so the web platform shines is how it's able to um, get everyone involved at the same time and not requiring one person to be able to compile something. You know, it's like the time horizons are somewhat different. I think with Ionic, what Ionic does is it makes a platform where enterprises, for example, can build apps today and get them onto uh, get them into the hands of the people at the company who need a specific enterprise mobile app um, and you know you can just write it once in ionic and then it's in uh, iOS and Android after being translated um, and then you've got it and it's practical whereas react native to me seems like this really ambitious project to potentially in the future like try to lever Facebook onto uh, uh like give them give them a leg to stand on and so they can build their own phone or you know something crazy ambitious <laughs> yeah. like that um and I think it's just a it's it's kind of a much different um vision and I don't think it's necessary like you know um and it's also you know it's like you are going to write your app in uh, in a way that um, conforms to this React Native structure, whereas uh, Ionic seems like this. Well, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't. Um, I shouldn't try to hypothesize too much about um, the future of React Native. I don't know much about it. But um, you, you, so you, so you mentioned Angular. I mean, Angular. Um, it, it, there's been this shift from Angular one to Angular two. What has been challenging about that, and um, what's been the process of keeping up with the uh, the framework shift as the or the framework evolution, I should say? Yeah, it's um, we've been pretty fortunate that the the Angular team is great. You know, we we meet with them on a weekly basis. Um, we've been out there numerous times working with them, so they've been very supportive of us and and helping us um, get stuff working with with Angular, both Angular one and, and Angular two. Which I guess we should call it, it's now just Angular now. You know, doing the whole Sember thing. There is no Angular too, which is Angular. But anyways, um, yeah, I think the the transition um, was kind of much needed. You know, if you think back to Angular one was written around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, by Mishko and Igor, and it was really a way to um, make it easier for internally Google to develop um, forms applications. And so this also speaks to allowing everyone to get involved is so it was to allow designers to quickly build forms for applications um, and internally it quickly proved to save Google a lot of time by by getting everyone involved and um, being able to quickly build applications and I recall uh, um, Bradley Green has said numerous times that Google has internally well over a thousand um, angular applications um, internally and so that kind of proves how it was able to quickly Kind of save them money or else they wouldn't be doing this um and that's what kind of killed off uh, google web toolkit i believe was the um how easy it was to develop with the web and using angular one um but that said angular one was built in the time of 2009 where javascript was just starting to kind of get some sort of form it wasn't considered really a toy anymore it was considered as this low or this this um thing within the browsers with quirky abilities um so it was just starting to take off, I think, JavaScript in general. Um, so there's a lot of new patterns that were just kind of emerging. And fast forward till today, we kind of now, we've got ES6 standards, um, and which kind of brought in, kind of fixed a lot of the problems that JavaScript had at the beginning, kind of made it more standard, made it uh, more familiar to um, object-oriented uh, developers. And so I think if, as a very, as an experienced Angular 1 developer looking at Angular 2, uh, or I guess Angular next whatever you want to call it um you're kind of like squint a little bit like this is weird it looks a little bit different um but then you'll quickly pick up on it and i also but more importantly as a brand new developer or someone coming from java or c sharp if you look at at modern angular you can be like oh this makes complete sense you know so like if you kind of forget the old ways of how javascript needed to have as much of quirky hacks and you think just as you know a software engineer and how um how components are structured, how they should be structured, how you know data goes down and events go up. Um, all these great concepts have been added to Angular, and that's where I think it's really going to shine. Um, and they spent you know two and a half years um, kind of refining this process, and it was it wasn't pretty most of the time because you know you don't know what you're building until you're until you 
got it right. And so we saw a lot of that and it was, it was kind of painful to, uh, be a witness of that because, um, everything is so done so, so publicly. And so everyone was able to chime in. Um, but I think what they have today and what they've built now is, is an amazing, um, application, um, or a way to build applications. And, and again, I think it's, um, enterprise developers are going to be very familiar with, uh, TypeScript and ES6 and, and just how the structure of a component works is just going to make sense now compared to the custom patterns that you had to kind of remember with Angular 1. We've been talking mostly about how Ionic is used and how things look from the developer perspective. I'd like to know what the process of building Ionic has been like. What were the steps to getting this to work technically? What were the big technical hurdles? Yeah, like I usually like to say, you know, building a a desktop UI is easy. Um, That's like the the easy one and there are a dime a dozen. Um, You can search for them anywhere. Twitter Bootstrap being like the uh, the number one, um, and and I don't actually mean that. This is actually very hard work, but put it onto the mobile is infinitely difficult, much harder, um, because the browsers all have their own quirkiness to it. Um, how each browser reacts to touch events, how each one um, handles like prevent default is all a little bit different. So there's lots of these quirky things of if you're building your application and just within the desktop. Everything to work smoothly, and then the second you put it into your phone, it's like this doesn't work, and this doesn't this doesn't work. Um, and that was also, you know, going back to the the problems that Cordova had in the beginning, is that that was a lot of it. Is that mobile browsers were so much they're they're very different than what they were today, and uh, the biggest culprit being the Android browser, um, which is now no longer, um, which is a good thing. Um, back then, there was different browsers that were on the devices. Today, we have the same browsers, the same runtimes, the same um, JavaScript engines and renderers that are in your desktop that are in mobile phones now. So again, a huge advantage of what's going on today. Um, so the process has always been to test it on the device as fast as possible um, because desktop is is going to make you think that it works beautifully. Um, and also, desktop is just so much more powerful. I mean, it's got a um, better CPUs and GPUs that it can render this stuff quickly. You're not going to see flickers because it, it's not a thing for the for your Mac to, to fire off this code. But on a slower Android device, um, you're going to see these flickers you weren't seeing on desktop. And so um, something that we learned, we quickly learn is like the moment you're building something, you got to test it on the device as fast as possible. And that's where Ionic has really kind of shine. Is um, we do a lot of things that that you just don't realize. Um, to make it performant, to make sure that the DOM reads and writes are, are in the correct order, to make sure that stuff isn't stepping on one another, causing flickers, um, to prevent the 300 millisecond delay, to not allow the 300 millisecond delay to click other events, to be able to handle how the keyboard should show and hide. So there's lots of these things you just don't think about that Ionic is already handling for you. Can you tell me more about Ionic, the company? How is the small team structured and what's the relationship between so Ionic is open source. That's something I might not have mentioned. But what's the relationship between the people working at Ionic and the open source community? How does development proceed? I think um, one of the things that we can that I'd like to say is, has been the success of Ionic is like on day one, uh, Max threw up a forum about Ionic, and we've kind of always been connected with uh, with the Ionic community, and I, and we love the Ionic community. It's 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 amazing, and that's actually where most of our employees have come from, is uh, from people that have just kind of um, you know, proven to, to really do a great job um, building Ionic applications, helping out other people on the forum. Um, so that's kind of like kind of in uncharted territories of like, how do you build a company built on, on open source? And so we're, we're just figuring it out as we go. Um, another thing I, I kind of pride ourselves on is how we're very, very genuine and like um, how we, how we talk with developers, how we, um, you know, we're not just you know, very salesy and, um, I'll just have these, these canned blogs, but more of like a, a genuine discussion because we too are developers and we, we want to help you um, and work with you on these things. And so like I've always uh, um, I've enjoyed being part of the community and, and how large and how quickly it got um, pretty large. I'm trying to think how many the maybe we can post the link to Max's uh, recent post about 2016 and all the numbers that we have. But it, it's pretty impressive of like where it's gotten to this point. Um, how many stars we have on GitHub and how many people are, are just viewing our web pages in a, in a monthly unique views. So, um, yeah, I'm extremely proud of the, the, the community and 
being a part of it. So for many mobile apps these days, we're at this point where a lot of the backend that people are building can be done with backend as a service products. What so for for most Ionic developers, are they just using a backend as a service, or are they actually spinning up a server and writing an entire backend? That I really can't speak to because it seems to be all over the board. Um, a lot of people are using Firebase. Um, a lot of people are doing their own their own thing. So I I really don't know, and it'd be tough to get you know for me to personally get for for us to get data of like how people are are using it. Um, but I will say you know it's something that um, Ionic as a company is really starting to heavily invest in in providing these tools that you more than likely are going to need. So Ionic Framework itself will always be MIT licensed, open source, free to use, uh, no strings attached. But uh, Ionic, the company, also does provide um, services which you're probably going to need, such as um, um, OAuth, um, um, push notifications, um, backend services, a backend database. Um, so various things that... Um, that we're seeing it is being used quite a bit, or what developers end up needing. Does it? I mean, so you you know you have kind of the prediction that HTML5 is going to take over everything. Do you have any strong predictions about the back end? Like, because it kind of seems you, know, you see these patterns in the way that a back end works that seem a lot more well formed than the ways that a front end works. Like um, these very specific patterns about queuing and just how you store stuff and um, for for at least something like a mobile app, it seems like the backend patterns are getting well-formed enough that you could very easily imagine a future where you just have a, have a variety of backend-as-a-service products, and then you write a very rich front-end. Does that seem like a plausible future to you? Yeah, that's that's what I, I would... I see that, that coming... Because you know, who wants to write through? a backend? Right, you know, I... You know, I'm kind of a history buff, and I like to compare it to this. So think of back like 1880s, 1890s, um, when electricity started going to all the factories. So um, there's this brand new thing called electricity. You could do, you could have lights on at night. You can run the the factories late at night, have more people working. Um, and so all these factories were having to install their own generators, and they have their own mechanics, and have their own ways to um, refuel it, make sure it's running, make the factory going at all times. But that's not what's happening today. You know, then quickly we had energy companies come about. We had power lines going everywhere. And now we just basically subscribe and we pay for our energy instead of all of us having to be experts in how to generate electricity. Um, I think it's kind of the same thing for what's happening with like AWS and Azure and things like that is, um, yes, we could figure out how to build our own backend database and how to have it very scalable um, but that's not really worth our time. Why don't we just pay someone to do it, um, and we'll focus on our problem, and we're not trying to reinvent um, something that's already solved somewhere else. Um, so that's kind of how I see backend services in general. Um, is that over time, it's going to be more of a service you pay for um, because it's just more cost effective and it's going to be more scalable, um, easier to maintain. Can you tell me a little bit more about the future of mobile development as you see it going for the next? two to ten years do you have any any uh, really wild predictions that i might not hear anywhere else i don't know 10 years i, I have no idea what's going to happen years, you know <laughs> think about 10 years ago like where we were with like, you know devices and, and even before oh, yeah, that definitely I mean, the internet's only been around since like 93 so um who knows where we're going with any of this and that's kind of the fun part is that we're we're all making it up as we go and i i really enjoy that as far as in the short term, I think progressive web apps are really the answer for um, quickly developing an application, um, a high-performing application that can be scalable to everyone, easy downloaded, easily viewed by anyone, um, offline capabilities. So it has all these all these tools are there. Um, web components are an amazing thing that's going to be um, really start to take off in the next year or two. Um, web components allowing you to be more of like uh, building components that are native to the browser. And so we're not having to ship um, these runtimes of like how a component works, like React and Angular does. Um, but instead, the browser now now understands kind of how to build a a, um, a component. And that said, web components is a very low level um, standard. Um, so there still needs to be a layer of like, well, how do you update the data inside of it? How do you um, how do you rearrange items inside of it? Um, this is the thing that Google's leading, right? Yes. Yep. Web um, components, Polymer. Yeah, Polymer and, and Polymer is great. I think they've done a great job, like um, leading the way of kind of this new concept. Um, 
And I think you could, I usually said it was early yet for web components, but I think this is the year and definitely next year is like where it's, it's feasible now where, you know, shadow DOM, um, and being able to scope your CSS to just one component. Um, that's now in all the browsers. Um, ES6 is going to be now, I believe it's now in all the browsers as of like within this month. Um, so now that we do have evergreen browsers and they're self updating, all this stuff is immediately available. Um, like it wasn't in the past back to the, you know, three years ago, it was, it was completely different because browsers didn't update themselves. But now all these cool things that we keep talking about is it's available to everyone. Um, iOS users update their phones immediately. Um, so like iOS 10 is already, I think at like 90% um, usage compared to um, iOS 9 is at, you know, a very low percent. So everything gets updated very quickly. And that's to the web platform's um, advantage of being able to take a use all these things um, immediately. And that's going to be web, um, web components, the shadow DOM, um, using the browser itself to do a lot of this work rather than shipping client code to do the work. Um, I think that's the big thing that's going to happen the next year. Does that centralize some power in the hands of Google because Google has such robust browser market share? No, I don't think so because, um, I mean, they're like across the, uh, across the road from Firefox. Um, and really true, Firefox... Yeah. I, I look up to Firefox in that they're kind of the leaders of the standards. Um, they always have been. They're always like, um, I, I think they're, they're the biggest part for um, the internet success. It would have to go to the Firefox and I guess the Mozilla team. Um, but that said, you know, Web Components is written as a standard. It's agreed upon amongst all the browsers. Um, Google headed it up. Um, but if you look at the document, it's um, everyone has agreed upon it. Um, I, and if uh, last I saw... Uh, Safari has Shadow DOM, and they're starting to develop the web components. Um, same for Microsoft. Um, Opera and Chrome already have them completed. Firefox has it behind a flag. So everyone has kind of agreed upon it. And that's the cool thing about the web platform versus, um, you know, again, Adobe Flash or applets or Java applets or um, was it Macromedia Shockwave? You know, those weren't global standards that everyone agreed upon. That was one company's thing. Whereas this is everyone's agreed upon it, and we're now shipping this runtime to trillions of devices that everyone can then develop it on top of. Well, that sounds like a good place to close off. Adam, I want to thank you for coming on to Software Engineering Daily and talking about cross-platform mobile apps and the future of mobile. It's, it's been a real pleasurable conversation. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.